Yeah, so welcome. Welcome. It's good to see everyone today. And we are um, continuing our uh, God's Wealth sermon series. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 13 today, verses 7 through 10. So uh, we have free Bibles um, in our pews. So please keep one and uh, take it and keep it if you don't have a Bible. It will come up on the screen as well. Um, these are the weeks we're doing. Um, we started off with grow income. Then last week was find contentment. Today we're doing eliminate debt. Then we've got manage expense, share resource, practice deliberately, invest wisely, enjoy rewards. We're doing a massive deep dive into the Bible's ancient wisdom surrounding money and possessions and happiness. And we need to be confronted by the Bible's truth about how to think about and how to handle money. Because money can have enormous power in our lives. If we don't control it, then it's typically controlling us. Jesus himself taught more and he said more about prayer and faith combined than he did about, uh, sorry, he said more about money. I said that the opposite way around. 90%. Jesus said more about money than he did about prayer and faith combined. And you think he'd talk about a lot about prayer and faith, which he did, but he says a lot about money. That's a big deal. Um, in, our, uh, in, in America, um, people, Americans, the average American pays 10 times more towards debt than they give to charity. Consumers in our country owe a whopping $830 billion on credit cards. Let me tell you about Holly Johnson. She was a re- she's a resident of central uh, Indiana, and in her early 20s, Holly made some really bad decisions about money. And one of the worst that she ever made was she bought a new car that cost $25,000 when she, her job that she had at the time only paid her $8 an hour. So her, half of her take-home pay went towards her car payment. The only way she could afford to continue to pay for the car was to move home with her parents. The worst part of the story is that when it came time to realize I can't afford this car and sell it, she could only get $2,500 for the car. It's kind of a parable of our day and age a little bit. The incredible availability of credit, the ease to take on debt, the encouragement, the incentivization to take on debt makes us more anxious, impoverishes us, and makes us think that debt is normal. Makes us think that debt is something that you, well, you, you have to have debt. Don't you have to have debt? Don't you have to live with debt in your life? Isn't that just a normal thing that people do? Not, not, not so fast. Um, The Apostle Paul in this passage we're looking at today, he wants to instruct us, and he's writing to, it's called Romans because it's writing to Christians who live in Rome at the time, and he's wanting to help them get deep insight into the practical wisdom that God has for us to how to think about money, how to actually master our money rather than being mastered by our money. And today, stick to... Stay tuned to the end of the sermon here, because at the end of the sermon, I'm going to go through a few, they're going to be practical, but it's going to be some biblical wisdom, the Bible's approach, God's way to get out of debt. This is highly relevant to almost every person I know, has been relevant at points in my life as well, and it still will be relevant to all of us throughout our lives. Let's pray and let's ask God for help. Jesus, we need you today. I do pray that you would help us 
handle our money well, to be responsible with it. Teach us uh, about debt. Help us to get clarity in our own minds, to understand what your word teaches about this. But Lord, more importantly, uh, show us that you have forgiven us of the greatest debt that we could ever owe and that you have made the greatest sacrifice that could ever be made. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know that, doesn't know you, Lord, help them find you. Help them to come alive to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 13, verses 7 through 10. Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves Another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is God's word. So Paul here definitely wants to equip these Roman Christians um, to, to be, uh, to be debt-free, to, to owe no one anything. And there's two big things coming across in this, this particular passage, and we're going to dive into some other scriptures as well today to get a full picture of the Bible's teaching on debt. But a couple of things come through immediately. One is he's saying, avoid debt at all cost, right? Pretty, pretty big point, pretty straight point he makes. Owe no one, anything. You shouldn't owe anything. The only thing you could ever owe is love. We'll talk about that in a second. But that's the first big thing he says. But then he also says, if you do owe something, because that can happen, well, you have to owe something, make sure you pay it. You've got to pay, whether it's taxes, whether it's revenue, whether it's respect or love or honor, whatever you owe, you've got to pay it. So Paul wants to help these Christians to thrive and to do well and to honor the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law you sum up all these, you know, he's quoting from the Ten Commandments there, right? Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, all these things. Well, the spirit of that is to love your neighbor. And this is the, the, the nature of debt is, con is connected to love. But he's also got another motive in writing this to them. He's, he's not just wanting to help them in their personal lives and, you know, them handle their, their debts better. He's also wanting to get spiritual and financial support from them. So we learn... Uh, elsewhere in the book of Romans, that the apostle Paul plans to travel to Spain. He's on a missionary journey. He wants to spread the gospel. He wants to get the word of Jesus out to the world. And so he's gonna, he's wanna, wants to go through Rome before he goes to Spain. And he's wanting the, the Christians in Rome to financially support this trip. And so in his mind, he's thinking, the less hindrances that these Christians have, the more generous they can be. So there's great motivation for Christians getting their affairs in order and, and being free from, from the, 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 really the weight of debt so that they can support missionary uh, mission expansion. Now, he does say that debt is an issue of love. Paul connects debt to the issue of love. If we don't repay our debts, we're lacking love. If we... But then the only debt that we're told that we really should have, because we want to get out of all of our financial debts, we want to pay all of those, but then the debt you can never fully repay is what he calls the debt of love. And, you know, there's, 
I mean, just on this point for a second here, this is, this, this, so he's tying these things together. There's, there's all kind of things we owe to people. And we owe love to each other. We really do. We owe love to each other. Now, you can never get enough love. And it's, it's damaging when you don't receive love. Everybody, you need to be loved by other people. Which, if you realize that, the more you realize that, the more you're willing to give love to other people and share and love other people because you realize how, how desperately in need we are. We're made with this void that has to be filled. And of course, this need is so deep, so insatiable, that really it can only be satisfied in the source of love, in the, 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 from the essence of love himself. First John chapter 4, verse 8 tells us God is love. God is is love. He's the source of love. We, we can never give enough love. Human relationships will never give us enough love, but we still need to give that love, but it'll never be enough. And Jesus defines love this way. He says that love is self-sacrifice, and he defines it that way through his words, but pr- predominantly through his actions, through his self-sacrificing actions. Now, listen, we have to understand this, that we did nothing to deserve God's love, but God out of his kindness and grace towards us, has poured out his love towards us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's an amazing truth to to, to penetrate our hearts, to open up our minds, to set us free from really the the, the traps that we get ourselves in, our, our dependencies, our addictions, our even, even the way that money controls us to break free from all of that is to realize that all shame has been taken through the sacrifice of Jesus. All condemnation has been taken through the sacrifice of Jesus and that I can't add to God's love. I can't take away from God's love. It's an infinite love that I'll for, I am forever indebted to God for. Not in a shameful, condemning way. It's a debt that I could never repay. It's an infinite debt that he has paid on my behalf. And my role, my goal as a Christian is to bask in the goodness and the joy of that radical debt forgiveness that he paid towards me. It's an amazing, that's the power source for everything we do in life as followers of Jesus. That's the power source is realizing once that gets deep enough into your heart, it transforms the way you relate to everybody, the way you do everything, everything. It's like going from black and white to color. It's like everything, the world seems different. Once you understand the depths of the sacrifice that God has made on our behalf to to pay our debt, to pay our spiritual debt, to forgive us of our sins. This is the power source that, that we have. And it's the power source that we actually need in order to be free from financial debt as well, from all the debts that we might owe to people that we can have the maturity to pay those debts Knowing his love is what powers us to show and give love to other people. Verse 8 says it. Verse 8, owe no one anything. Owe no one anything. And because it says anything, it means, and he definitely says it here, taxes and as well as revenue. It means money as well. So let's dive in. Let's take a a really big look at what does the Bible teach us. Let's get a kind of a comprehensive view here. We're going to go through five things that the Bible teaches us specifically about financial debt. Number one, the Bible condemns the misuse of debt. So there's a passage here in Nehemiah. We looked at recently the book of Nehemiah as a church. And if you you recall, it's a callback to previous sermon series that we did. But if you remember, people were making these loans and then they were extracting enormous interest on these loans to people who were already impoverished. That is 
a misuse of debt. And this is how debt is often used in our society is rich, wealthy people or banks enslave people into borrowing large sums of money at extraordinarily high interest rates and it traps people in poverty. The Bible condemns that. It says that is immoral, unethical, and wrong. The second thing that the Bible says is it condemns the failure to repay debt. So if you have debt, if you've borrowed money and you've agreed to those terms and you've agreed to the amount and the interest and you don't repay it, it condemns that. And we just read it here in these verses. It says you've got to pay what you owe because that's keeping you to your word. Your word, because you, that's what a debt is, right? You said, I've, I'm going to borrow this money and I'm going to promise to repay it. That's my word. I've committed myself to that. And if I fail to do that, the Bible says, we're missing the spirit of the law, which is to love, our, we're not loving our neighbor. Actually, we're, we're treating people with contempt and even hatred if we do that. The third thing that the Bible teaches about money is, it teaches that debt is a form of slavery. So Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, the borrower is the slave of the lender. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, what happens if we don't pay our debts? Well, it kind of depends what kind of debt it is, right? Not, it's not the same response, but typically uh, goes to collection, right? And then you start getting lots of phone calls. And if you ignore all those things, eventually someone will show up at your house to repossess items of yours in order to try and get the value of the debt back. And so we might think that our cars belong to us or our houses belong to us or the things we've bought, that they're our things. But if we have bought those things with debt and then we're not paying off that debt, we don't own those things at all. If we just start paying those, those debts off at the rate that we said we're gonna pay them off, those things will be repossessed from us. We don't own them. And actually, the more we ignore that, the more stress we have in our lives, the more anxiety we have in our lives, the less generous we can be. Because debt, essentially, the reason it's a form of slavery is because what we're saying is when we, borrow, when we borrow and borrow and borrow and we take on more and more debt, whatever kind of debt it may be, the more that we take on, what we're doing is we're mortgaging out our future. We're mortgaging out our future. And we're, we're basically saying that that God has to, we're putting ourselves in this position where we're saying that, that eventually, you know, God's going to have to bail us out at some point because we've been very presumptuous. We presumed that we will have enough income in the future to pay for the debt that we borrowed right now. And then once we get into a predicament that we're struggling, we're overwhelmed with our debt, we can't keep up with our debt, we, we're, we're overextending ourselves in all these different ways, then we're kind of putting God in, we're kind of strong-arming God to say, God, you've got to come through, you've got to help bail me out of this situation which I alone have created for myself by borrowing way too much money. The fourth thing the Bible says about debt is it says that lending should be honorable. Lending should be honorable. So Luke 6 verse 35 says, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Now, this is the Christian idea of lending is even though the Bible discourages debts and, and, and gives us great warnings about debts, uh, there can be times to make a loan or to take on a loan. It's not completely ruled out, but it is strongly discouraged. When it does happen, a Christian who is lending somebody else money, it says, what does it say? It says, lend expecting nothing in return. What that means is to, to do it in an honorable way is to say, I'm gonna loan you the money with the expectation that you, you know, with the agreement that you'll repay it. But if you can't repay it, 
I'm willing to forgive the loan. Now that would make people really question if they should give loans or not. Because most people give loans because it's a way to make money, because of the interest they can charge. But a Christian idea of loaning is I want to help this person, and if they're able to repay it, then that does help me as well, because I get my money back, maybe with some interest as well, which is a reasonable amount of interest is not necessarily wrong. It depends on the situation, of course. The fifth thing that the Bible teaches us about debt is uh, to be merciful, that we to be merciful to those who are in debt. So Luke The very next verse, actually Luke uh, 6, verse 36, says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So that's in the context of lending. It says, be merciful. So um, this is uh, expanding the idea of debt forgiveness. Um, But if somebody is suffering from abandonment or they're in some kind of crisis or some kind of health issue uh, and people incur debts because of those things, we want to think of ways of how can we help them be forgiven of those debts or how can we pay those debts for those people because they're in great need. Now, Being merciful doesn't necessarily mean debt forgiveness. It doesn't mean that necessarily. It might mean that. There is a time and a place for that. But it doesn't mean that every debt should be paid. It's situational. So it could be that, uh, well, because some debts are avoidable and some are unavoidable. If a debt is unavoidable, like a health-related debt, for example, obviously that's a great situation to be merciful in and try and help somebody. If, though, somebody's just borrowed and borrowed and borrowed and been lived this lavish lifestyle, it could be, um, if they're not in absolute dire circumstances, that they need to bear the burden of that responsibility and learn to pay that off, and that they alone are responsible, that debt should not necessarily be forgiven. It depends on the circumstances and the person's life situation and what kind of, how desperate their situation exactly is. Now, let's go through some of the, the this is going to get very practical today. You ready? Ready for some practicalities here? We're going to we're deep, doing the deep dive. We're going deep with this. We're going to look at four of the most common types of debt. So we're going to be looking at credit cards. We're going to be looking at car debt. We're going to be looking at mortgage. We're going to be looking at school debt. All right? And I understand that this can be stress-inducing for a lot of people because you're thinking about that credit card you have with X amount of dollars in it or the three credit cards you have with X amount of dollars on them or you're thinking about the student debt you have with X amount of dollars on it. And you're thinking and you're just... You're, some people probably right now are having palpitations, probably just, it's, that, that's, why it's, that's why it's called slavery, because somebody else controls your life. Somebody else has power, you, and, and we've voluntarily given them that power, unless, unless it's an unavoidable debt, right? Unless it's something that happened to us that we couldn't avoid, like a, health, like a healthcare issue, right? You got sick somehow, and you have all these hospital bills, like, that's not your fault, that didn't necessarily happen to you. I guess there could be situations where maybe it is your fault, but typically we'll, 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 we'll err on the side of that's not your fault. Um, but a lot of our debts, we, we, we chose to go to school. We got those credit cards. We went on that trip. We bought all those things. It's on us. So let's go through these things. Credit cards. How do we think about credit cards? Here's the problem with credit cards is, st- statistically speaking, the average person, when they use a credit card, they're, 26, they're, they're, they're gonna spend 26% more just by using a credit card. You've been to Dave and Busters before, right? People been to Dave and Busters? No? It's been a while since I've been. Maybe COVID. I don't know how they fared through COVID, but I haven't been for a while. Dave and Busters. You've, you've been to an arcade before? Some, any, any environment you get, anytime I'm in an environment like this and people are making me exchange money for tokens or like a plastic card or they're making me turn my money into something else that I'm going to use to spend, I'm like, those scoundrels. 
those app, there's, a, there's a psychological reason they do it, because they know you'll spend more money. Because any time you disconnect the actual money you have from the action of, of buying something or getting something, you're not thinking about what you're losing. You're thinking of only about what you're gaining. So that's what a credit card does. It's, it's a piece of glorious, beautiful plastic that, that empowers you to do anything, and you just swipe it and you get stuff. You put your details in on the website and you get stuff, and it's... Wow, what a, it's that dopamine hit, right? You're getting that dopamine, I keep talking about that. You keep getting that rush in the brain. You're like, wow, this is exciting. And so, but that's the problem with a credit card is. A credit card facilitates impulse expenditure. Because it's so easy. It's not, and, and the thing, we, we think, oh, this is my money I'm using. No, I'm actually spending somebody else's money. I'm sp- every time I swipe, I'm spending somebody else's money. Now, the interest is the thing that gets us on the credit cards, isn't it? It's, that's the, it's the interest. So, uh, we might, we might think we're being smart. We might think we're being frugal and savvy. We, we go into a store. Maybe there's something we really need, and then we genuinely need it, and it's on sale. So we think, oh, I've got to get this. This is me being responsible because I, I've been needing this, and it's on sale, so I'm going to save some money. But then we put it on a credit card that we're not paying off, and we're turning a saving into a massive expense. Let me illustrate this for you. Let's say, let's imagine, I know no one in this room would ever have this, but let's imagine you have a credit card with $7,000 on it. I know, no, I know that would never happen to anybody in this room or anyone listening online, but let's imagine you got a credit card with $7,000 on it. And the average credit card rate is, interest rate is 18%, which should be criminal. That is a criminal amount to charge somebody. Now, some are even higher. You can get 25%. You can, there's probably some cap. There is probably a law that's limiting it. There should be that's limiting it at some point. But it, that, that should be a criminal amount. If our politicians actually were just and cared about these things, they would write laws that would, would prohibit people from doing that kind of stuff. Because they're preying upon people's weakness. They're preying upon uh, people's inability to, to manage them, their own uh, control of the, the expenditure. So 18% is the typical rate that you're spending on a credit card. So, you, so for the privilege of spending $7,000 now, somebody else's money, I want it now, I'm going to spend $7,000, you're going to rack it up at $7,000, 18% interest. If I only pay the minimum balance over the lifetime of that credit card, I'm going to spend $20,000. There is no sale good enough to justify that kind of decision. It's, I mean, it's foolish, right? We're, we're so foolish. For the privilege of saying, I'm going to spend somebody else's $7,000 right now because I want to do something right now, I'm willing to spend $20,000 in the long term. I mean, we're idiots. We're sheer idiots. Credit card debt, sorry to be so mean today, but it's true, it's true. You know what? I've been an idiot. Let me just say that. I've been an idiot. I've spent money in ways I shouldn't have spent it. I've used it in ways I shouldn't have used it. I got, I've been in debt in ways I should never have been in debt. I've done it. So I'm an idiot too. There you go. Credit card debts. Credit card debt typically is what's called an unsecured debt. This is the worst form of debt we can have. What is an unsecured debt? An unsecured debt is, it's, it's all the stuff, you know, it's travel expenses, it's fast food, it's clothing, it's all experiences, it's McDonald's, whatever it is. It's the stuff we don't need that's making our lives worse in the first place. But unsecured debt are all those kind of frivolous expenditures. It's debt that's not tied to a physical object that you could exchange to pay the debt. So for example, like a house is, is a secure form of debt 
Because if you needed to pay your mortgage back, for some reason, you're like, I've got to pay this full debt. You could, in theory, it's not true every time, but in theory, you could sell the house and then you pay the debt back. And in that kind of situation, I, if everything goes according to plan, you, you can make money as well. Not necessarily, but you can. Um, a car is kind of a secure form of debt, although if it's a, if it's a used car, it's more, more of a secure form of debt because a new car loses so much value uh, as soon as you drive it off the lot. But that's another, t- you, you could exchange the car, you could sell the car and get the, the value of the, that car and then you could say, I have to, have to use that money then to pay off this debt. So it's, it's anchored, my debt is anchored to something in the real world that still has value. But credit card debt, you can't go and take that trip back that you took. You can't go get it back. You can't go get that McDonald's back that you ate. It's gone. This is the difference between secure debt and insecure debt. Um, and when we have insecure debt, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're promising our future salary. We're saying, I, 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 I'm, I'm being actually very presumptuous, saying that my future salary will exist at a level where I can afford the things that I borrowed for ahead of time. Three principles for using a credit card. Let's go through three. I'm not going to say biblical, but I guess the Bible doesn't talk about credit cards, but it talks about debt. Let's go through these three things. First one is never use credit cards for anything other than budgeted items. This means because of the impulse spending, because of the 26% extra spending. If you're going to use a credit card, the only way you use it is if you're going to use it on something that you know you're already going to buy. This is the first rule. If you violate this rule, you're not mature enough to have a credit card. All right, I'm playing the role of dad today. This is the dad role. This is the, what dads need to tell people all the time. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. I'm playing the dad role today, all right? So, because otherwise you've got this fancy piece of plastic and you, you, you see something you, you really want or an opportunity comes up and you're so excited by it, you say, well, I hadn't planned to get it, but I'll get it because I can put it on my credit card. And that's an impulse expenditure. A budgeted item is, well, I've got this much to spend on food this month. I've got this much for living expenses. I've got this much for entertainment, this much for whatever. I've got all my stuff worked out in separate buckets. And we're going to do a separate week on, uh, actually next week we're going to be talking about, it's not a very sexy subject, but we're going to be talking about budgets a little bit. I want to give you some really practical help of how you can be consistent with a budget. Um, but this is the first one. Is that you, never, you never use a credit card for anything other than budgeted items. And I've got to tell you this. It's, it's so funny to think about this. There was a, there's a Chase credit card that's called Freedom. Right? Anyone, who, anyone here have that credit card? I actually had that credit card. Okay. Get that credit card, cross out the word freedom, and write slavery. It's the exact opposite of what it really is. Debt is slavery, right? And we should all be against slavery. We should hate slavery. So we shouldn't be voluntarily putting ourselves into bondage with slavery. All right. The second thing about uh, credit cards is this. Nope. <laughs> Pay off the entire balance every month. This is the second principle of using a credit card is that the, 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 the balance, whatever balance you have, it needs to be paid in full every month. Otherwise, you're, spent, you're, you're paying 18% on that. Now, some people are like, well, I've got a 0% interest thing for 24 months. Like, great, what happens when that runs out? Well, I transfer it to another one that's 24 months, 0% interest. Well, great, what happens after that? I mean, this is not a sustainable strategy, 
we have to realize, right, this is not sustainable. That, I mean, there might be times we're in dire straits and certain, you do certain things for certain reasons, but th these are bad decisions <laughs> um, for the most part. So if we're not paying it off the entire balance every month, we're not responsible enough to have a credit card. The, uh, number three, third principle is destroy the card if you are unable to pay it in full. This is where the rubber meets the road, is that we have to make tough decisions. I met a lady years ago, actually, who said, um, she said, I, I, am, I am never, ever going to allow myself ever to have a credit card ever again. She says, I cannot be trusted with them. They just, I just buy and spend and I get into a really bad place. So she uses purely either cash or debit. You have to make that decision. If, 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 if you've got balances and they're not being paid off, we've got to make that decision today, say, uh, to get rid of it. Now, let's look at the next form of debt. Let's look at a car loan, getting out a car loan. A lot of people, great, if you live in Chicago and you can live without a car, live without a car, uh, it's a great city not to have a car in because the parking tickets and the parking tickets and all the other expenses of having a car, they make it really hard to have a car in Chicago. Um, obviously, that's not doable for everyone. Some people, your families especially, might need a car. But most people in buying a car will overspend and unnecessarily upgrade their car. Studies show that buying a used car and maintaining a used car over the long term is always cheaper than buying a new car and then upgrading your car. There might be some exceptions to that, but they're rare and you'd have to really crunch the numbers to know that you were right about that. Typically, it's, it's much cheaper to do that. Even a hybrid, something like a hybrid. Um, people might think, well, I'm saving on gas. Uh, the problem with the hybrid is, and I, I hope the, the economics of this change, because obviously there's some good things about uh, either using an electric vehicle or using a hybrid vehicle, but uh, economically, it's much more expensive. Um, the maintenance on hybrids is a lot more expensive. You can't go to your local, you know, um, yeah, Ted, the engineer, you know, uh, our... Uh, Mechanic Ted, thank you. I couldn't think of the word mechanic. What is Ted? Ted's a mechanic. Can't go to, can't take my hybrid to Ted to fix it. Who's going to charge me next to nothing? Um, and always be honest with me. Uh, you, you, you have to take it to a specialized place, and it costs a lot of money to get it fixed. The, the, the batteries in the hybrids um, cost about three thousand dollars and have to be changed every eight to ten years. And so you have to factor in all of these costs to it. Um, buying a new car, I would say it's most of the time. I say, especially for Christians, it's really unnecessary to buy a new car. There might be some exceptions to this. Someone's a car enthusiast. You know, they're, they're, well, if someone's a car enthusiast and they're collecting cars, uh, classic cars, they're not buying new cars anyway. They're old cars, right? They're new to them. Uh, but buying a new car typically is, is you waste so much money. It'll be so much wiser to say, I'm going to get a used car. They're still pretty, they're still fairly new, but it's, it's used. And um, I'm gonna, you know, the money that I would have spent on the brand new one, I'm going to use that for something way more important, like use that money for something else. Because the moment you drive a new car off the lot, the, the value of it plummets immediately. It's not a great use of, uh, of, of money. Uh, my wife and I, we've been able to, over the years, either have... Um, a, a car loan for a very short period of time, or there's been a couple of times we've been able to, uh, or at least once, that we were able to buy a car with cash. And um, that's an option. You know, save up for a car. You know, it's, it's a novel idea. You could do that. You know, you, I mean, maybe not a great car, but do you need a great car? You won't have, you won't have a debt. You won't have any debt. And it's, it's wonderful not to have a car. If you have, have a car, if you think, those of you who own cars, and you've you got a car loan, you're paying off. It's not great to have that debt. 
That's a debt you want to get rid of because that's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, each month. And it's great to, to eliminate that and get completely rid of that. And, you know, sometimes we need to swallow our pride and be okay with just having a beta car, just a, a crappy little rusty car that we drive around and say, you know what, this is what I have right now. I love those, the MNs, by the way, Amanda. You're the biggest, my biggest fan here. I appreciate it. By the way, everyone needs to be more like Amanda during sermons. She's feeling the spirit. The spirit is on her. So, <laughs> um, I distracted myself. Where did I get to? All right, saving up for a car. So that's the second form of debt. Let's talk about mortgage. Let's talk about house debt. Now, as we've looked at in these verses from Romans and, and other verses here, I told you this is very practical, people. This is second half of this sermon is basically like attending a financial seminar. So, but we'll get back into uh, the gospel in just a second here. But this is all ap- gospel application to us, right? This is us trying to live out. At some point, we have to ask ourselves the particulars and the specifics as Christians. How do we live out our lives as it relates to money and possessions and especially debt? Now, two big things we learned from this passage in Romans, right? You want to avoid debt at all cost. But if you do have debt, you've got to make sure you repay it to be honorable. So, how does that relate to a mortgage? A mortgage is probably one of the most reasonable types of debt that a Christian can take on, all right? It's not a right to own anything, and renting does, isn't a waste of money. There's pros and cons to renting versus owning. Um, but it would be almost impossible for most people to save up for a house and buy a house with cash. Like, obviously, very uber-wealthy people might better do that and can do that. But for the average person, that's not really a possibility. So taking on that debt... Uh, assuming that you have the salary that can sustain that kind of, you know, job security that can sustain that kind of debt um, can make a lot of uh, sense. Um, typically, owning a home does, is cheaper than renting, typically, but not always, not always. It, there, there can be surprise costs when it comes to um, owning property uh, as well. And there can be kingdom reasons. Sometimes there can be reason, kingdom reasons to own. And we talked about that recently, actually, having a vision for Chicago and saying, hey, I want to buy property here. I want to have skin in the game here. I want to have roots here. And that there's kingdom reasons for that. But there can be kingdom reasons for renting as well. Um, so it can go, uh, there's no right or wrong in, in that regard. Um, typically, though, in terms of buying property, what I've always heard is, um, I'm getting this from other people, not from myself. I'm not, anything I know about money, I learn from other people because I'm not naturally great with, with the money and the number side of things. So I've learned everything I've got from books and from other wise people. And anything I say that sounds smart is purely from other people uh, in, this, in this realm. Typically, in terms of buying a house, you calculate the kind of mortgage that you can afford by timesing your gross income by 2.5. So your, income, your gross income times it by 2.5. Whatever that number is, then that's a reasonable loan that you could uh, take out on a property. Married couples, of course, may, if they're planning on having kids, that kind of stuff, they might want to plan and think about, is our, are we going to go down to one income for a time? What's that going to look like? And trying to plan ahead for those kind of decisions. All right, let's look at the fourth kind of debt, which is school debt. Now people are really sweating with the school debt thing. All right, school debt. Here's the big thing about taking on educational debt. We've got to really look at the nature of the debt. And unfortunately, a lot of students don't take the time to properly investigate and look into what am I really getting out of this and ask some basic questions. So firstly, how much do I actually need? That'd be one question to ask. Secondly, how, what kind of job do I need to land to actually afford this debt? 
So, so, so what's my total debt going to be going to school? And then what kind of job would I need to then be able to pay that debt in the future? And how long would it take me to pay off that debt? What's a reasonable length of time to actually be able to pay off that debt? These, these are, they should be obvious questions, but we don't, we don't necessarily have the dad in our lives to, to, to ask us these kinds of questions or the adult in our lives to ask us these kinds of questions. I remember I, I, had a, I actually never went to university, never went to college, because I had a spot, actually, they were expecting me there, and I just never showed up because I was like, I couldn't bring myself to borrow the money to do it. I was like, I'm just going to find another way in life. And here I am, and things worked out great, I think. You know, life's not always easy, but I'm, I'm happy, you know, so there you go. So um, what did I get to? So um, not only how much debt, not only um, how long will it take me to repay it, not only what kind of job will, will I need to get to pay that back, but in that industry, how many jobs like that are there? How competitive is it in that industry? How difficult is it to break into? You know, if I get trained in this particular skill, I, I graduate with this, I've got a piece of paper that says I know what I'm doing as it relates to this, which is laughable in one sense because... Anyway, you understand what I'm, I'm maybe getting at there. A uh, piece of paper does not indicate how much, how much you know or how smart you are or how capable you are at doing something. It may be a little bit, but I don't know about that. Um, asking how difficult would it be to get a job in this industry? If you've taken on huge student debt, massive amounts of debt, or any kind of student debt, without asking those questions, it might be time to sit down with God and say, God, I apologize. I screwed up. I messed up. I didn't think this through. I borrowed this money. I don't know what I'm going to do. Help me out. Help me fix this. Let's look at quickly, before we get into how to pay off debt, let's quickly get into how to pay for school debt. So this is, if you've already graduated, sorry. If you're thinking about going back to school or you, this is your preschool, then this is perfect timing for you. Perfect timing for you, all right? Let's go through uh, how to pay uh, for uh, school debt, or how to pay for school, excuse me. Um, first one is save up beforehand. What a novel idea. You know, you could do that. You say, I'm just going to save up for it. Just let that sink in a little bit more. You could save up for it. All right, the second point is work during school. Another amazing, mind-blowing, difficult idea here. It seems like less people are doing this now. Why aren't people doing this? Why aren't people working? Hey, you're going to party a bit less. Uh, you're going to be a little bit more tired, but you're going to have a lot less debt or no debt. Work during school. Number three is exhaust all scholarship options. Get on the phone. Get online. Knock on every door. Talk to every person. Get aggressive. There's free money out there. There's opportunities out there. Knock on those doors. Exhaust all those options. Number four is delay going or don't go. Do what I did. Don't go. I, I actually had a, a guy I met a few years ago, several years ago now, who was a gifted musician, and, but he decided to go to an elite private school for music. So he got a music business degree, I think it was. And um, I had met him after he had graduated, graduated with uh, $250,000 worth of debt. And when I met him, it took me like five minutes to figure out this kid does not have the ambition necessary to pay for this debt. Somebody should have been kind enough and wise enough to sit him down before he took on that debt and say to him, if you're going to make it in the mu music industry, you're going to have to hustle. 
you're going to need to be, you're not just, you can't just be a rock star, you have to be a rock star at self-promotion. And about, you can't just be talented, you have to be putting yourself out there and getting amazing opportunities for yourself and hustle, hustle, hustle if you're going to pay off that debt in any reasonable amount of time. And I just spent five minutes with him and thought, you, you, you don't have that kind of intrinsic motivation. To, you're gifted musically, but you just don't have the business side down, even though he had a business degree in music. It's, it's, now he's, you know, he's working retail, like trying to pay off that, that debt. Number five is have a, a plan B for career. Now, a lot of people aren't willing to do this because we have our, our sights set on. We have one idea of how our life should work out, and we, we, we have to go for that. That's the only way to go. Let me suggest, stepping back from that, doing a thought experiment, getting two bits of paper, sitting down at a table, two bits of paper. Plan A is, hey, my dream, the thing I really feel like I'm supposed to do, and planning all that out. What's that going to cost financially? What do I need? What, what's, how that's all gonna, what opportunities do I have? Do all that. Plan B is... What would be another alternative, using my skills, using opportunities I have, something, another course I could follow that would actually avoid some of these debts, some of these costs, and could be a really good op option for me? And, and honestly explore it, write it down. Then you've got both. Here's the great thing about having both is if plan A doesn't work out, you're not just like stuck without any kind of clue of what to do. You're like, I actually already have a plan B that's pretty good, that I'm actually pretty happy with. And maybe this answer would end up being better for some reason than I could have imagined. Just having that plan B is important. All right, let's keep going here. So now, the final thing, how to get out of debt God's way. How to get out of debt God's way. The first one is to repent. What is repentance? If I'm in debt, if I've taken on all this debt, more debt than I should have taken on, I've got credit card debt, I've got, I took on too much school debt, I shouldn't have taken it on, I bought a car that I shouldn't have bought, there's way too much money. Whatever kind of debt it is that I've incurred, that I've been foolish about, I've got to repent. If we don't, repentance is changing our minds. It's saying, I was doing this, going this way, and now I realize that was wrong. I've not been living to God's word. I've not been living with the truth of owe oh, no one anything. I've not been living with the truth of repay your debts, make sure you pay all your debts. So I need to repent, and now I need to turn towards God's way. I'm going to do it God's way from this point forward. Because if we don't repent and change our minds, we'll continue to make the same mistakes that we made in the past. Because the issue isn't the world around us. The issue is what's going on up here. It's what's going on up here. It's so easy for us to blame our circumstances when... Of course, our circumstances influence us and impact us and tempt us, but we have to bear responsibility. We have to bear responsibility. So the first step is to repent and say, God, forgive me. I've been foolish, and then give me the wisdom I need uh, to, to, to move forward. The second one is to give, is to give. This is, again, counterintuitive. We're going to be talking about giving uh, here in a few weeks as well, but um, we, might, we might be tempted to say, I can't afford to give because of all my debt. But we've got to realize that's our own fault. God is our number one creditor. We are in debt to him. We need to honor him first and foremost for his blessing. Third thing that we need to do is to incur no new debts. So big step here, big, big step. Get out that connect card. Get out that connect card, everyone. If you've got credit card debt that you're not paying off every month, here's what I'm going to make you do today. I'm playing the dad role today. You are going to go home. Here's what you're going to do. I'm just going to tell you what you're going to do. It's not even an option for you. I'm just going to tell you this is what you have to do. You're going to go home. You're going to get a pair of scissors, and you're going to commit plastic surgery on those credit cards. All right? Write down on the back section of this Connect card, right down here, cut up, I'm going to cut up my credit cards today. All right? Write it down. 
I'm going to cut up my credit cards. I'm writing it, but I actually don't have to do this. I'm just doing it as an example. I'm going to cut up my credit cards today. If you're not using them wisely, you're carrying a balance, cut them up. You are in slavery to them. You don't need them. Make that decision today. But any, any kind of new debt, don't need new debt, don't make the situation worse, stop the bleeding right now. Fourth one is don't upgrade your life. In fact, you actually might need to downgrade your life. But, but, but don't add stuff. Don't say I'm going to, you know. Um, so that, that's, this is one of the problems with, with owning a house is people don't realize I need to start small. They need to get a small house to begin with. The, the luxury big house, that comes later on. Maybe it comes later on. Maybe it doesn't ever come. But I start small and build up from there. Same thing, you know, we've got we to gotta, uh, downgrade our lives sometimes. Um, the fifth one is use a budget. Now, next week we're talking about, I'm not going to get into that today, next week, big non-sexy topic of budgeting. But don't worry, I'll make it as sexy as I can for you. <laughs> don't imagine that too hard. <laughs> Number six is practice the snowball effect. So this is a term, the snowball effect is a term from uh, Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, kind of a financial guru. So, he, so for example, let's say you've got five debts, all the different amounts, you, know, you can have credit card, loans, you know, different, you know, student debt, um, card debt, whatever it might be. Um, what, you, what he advises people to do is rather than, than picking the debt with the, the highest interest rate and paying that off first, which logically would make sense because you're saying, well, I'm, I'm losing more money on that one because it has the highest interest rate. He says the problem is you've, you've already got yourself into this place where you've got all this debt. So the smarter thing to do to get momentum, to get the snowball effect going, is to actually pick the, the, the debt with the smallest amount. Ignore the interest rates. You've got to build the habit, the habit of, of dealing with money in a, in a more consistent way. So you pick the smallest debt. So let's say you've got a credit card with like $500 on it or something. That's the smallest debt. So I'm going to tackle that first. So every month, my extra, I'm, going to, I'm going to pay that down. So, oh, wow, I had five debts. But I just, in a couple of months, I was able to eliminate one of them. Now I only have four debts. So this is the snowball. Now all of my extra that I'm, I have, I'm going to put towards my next biggest debt. And that's the snowball effect. Until you, you, then you're left with the largest one, uh, which then you're slowly paying off. But that, by that point, you've built the discipline. You've got the discipline of paying off uh, those debts. That's the snowball effect. And then uh, the seventh one is follow financial resources. So... Um, Again, there's lots of financial resources out there, but you've got to educate yourself. Nobody else can do this for you. Don't waste today. I've thrown out a lot of information today, given stats today, given some practical advice today. Don't waste today. Don't leave here and say, well, that was helpful, and then do nothing with it. You have to become a student of this subject yourself. So, financial, so find a good podcast. Find a good YouTube channel. Find a good blog. Subscribe. Sign up. Get a flow of information into your life that's educating you and teaching you how to get savvy and how to understand financial things for yourself. You can't ignore it. You're going to get in great trouble if you ignore it. You can't expect someone else to do it for you. You have to do it and you can do it. You can do this. It takes time. It, there are barriers. I understand there's mental barriers. It takes time, but you can do it. I do like Dave Ramsey. Some people don't like his personality, um, but I think he has one of the best financial systems out there, so I recommend him. But if there's other resources that you find, great. Uh, follow those. The next one is be accountable. So uh, 
next semester of our small groups, we're going to actually do some financial groups. So, um, yeah, so we're going to go on a journey together to help each other uh, how to handle our money better. So that'll be coming. So that might be something to think about for the future. But even now, let's say that your family and friends are not a good influence on you and are encouraging uh, compulsive spending or bad financial habits. Here's what you need to do. You need to sit down with them. You need to send them an email. You need to have a conversation and say, look, we're in trouble or I'm in trouble. I'm overspending. I've got, these are my debts. I've got this debt, this debt, this debt with these amounts on them. And I'm just finding myself really struggling to make good decisions. I need your help. I'm, I'm not gonna eat out. I'm not gonna go on this trip. I'm not gonna do this. I need you to support me because I have to pay off these debts. All right, that's, that's making ourselves accountable. That's actually asking for their, their help and their influence uh, as it relates to that. Let me tell you a quick story here, true story about Ray and his wife who were married in uh, 2003. And when they came into their marriage, they had $115,000 worth of debt. It was a combination of school loans, of credit card debt, of car loans. And um, after a decade of, um, you know, they graduated from grad school, they basically had made almost no progress towards their debt. They had this debt and they felt like they could just couldn't get any control over it. We just can't get any control over this debt. It's such a discouraging thing to them. And then some friends told them about Financial Peace University. And so they tried it and they went through it and they started listening to the podcast and listening to that and started learning about it. And they, they, they started getting focused and serious about handling their debt. And so they, they drew out this debt thermostat and they had it on their wall. And every time they would pay off a little bit of their debt, they would fill up the thermostat a little bit more to kind of like track it visually so they could see their progress. And um, they, would, they started avoiding situations and circumstances that would trigger their discontent and, and, and that would tempt them to, to spend money that they really shouldn't be spending that needed to go towards paying off their de debt. So they started avoiding uh, those things. There was, through this process of trying to pay off their $115,000 worth of debt, they, they wanted to quit so many times. So many times that they saw something they wanted to buy. So many experiences they wanted to have. They see their friends doing these trips or doing other things and they thought, oh, I want to do that so bad. And they wanted to quit so many times. And Ray, Ray's wife uh, was actually a stay-at-home mom. So they only had one income. They only had his, in his income. And so she's trying to do everything she can to be as frugal as she can with the household uh, money that she was responsible for, for, for buying food and you know, running the household. And then, and then Ray he decided to pick up as many extra hours as he could at the rental company that he worked at. So every extra dollar that he earned working overtime, they put towards their debt. And it was a huge sacrifice. It was a huge sacrifice. It took them two and a half years. And during those two and a half years of kind of like living in the desert, as it were, you know, there were some days that Ray didn't even see his kids because he got home so late because he was working so many extra hours to get rid of this debt. And you'd think that would weaken their family, but their family got stronger because they were all unified around this goal. They, were, they realized this is freedom. We're actually achieving freedom for ourselves here. We've been enslaved and now we're getting free. And so they, were, they got stronger as a family. And this is the, the other amazing thing about their story is that they decided they were going to start tithing, giving their 10% to God every month. They had faith. They, wanted, they wanted, were practicing their faith that God would be their provider that as they blessed God, as they poured out to God, that he would accelerate their ability to pay off their debt. It took them two and a half years. Once they finished it and they got it all paid off, they could plan and do things that they could only have dreamt about before that. In the book of Romans here, 
we are encouraged to be debt-free because of the issue of love. Because if we, if we are free from our debts, we've alleviated a massive hindrance in our lives that holds us back from being generous, that holds us back from following God's purposes, that holds us back from live, actually enjoying life. Enjoying life. Debt is an issue of love. When we take on more debt, we're not loving our neighbor. When we don't repay our debts, we're not loving our neighbor. We're violating the spirit of the law, the moral law of God. But in all of this, we've got to come back to the, the central point that we come back to all the time, is that our greatest example in this is Jesus. Not just our example, but the greatest truth. That in Jesus, Jesus paid our greatest debt. It was a debt that we couldn't afford to pay. We, it was way beyond our ability. Our sin, our, our personal failing, fa- failure and our own evil of our, of our own hearts. Like, we couldn't have paid that debt. We could have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, but we could never have paid that debt. And Jesus paid that debt in full, canceled it out. There's no collection agency that's coming for us. There's no interest on it. Isn't that good? There's no sin interest. It's not compounding. No one's going to show up saying, You've, you've got to pay up. Jesus canceled our debt once and for all and set us free. If we understand how free we are, we can live free of the grip of money and the temptations of overexpending and, and, and uh, overstretching ourselves. And we can truly love our neighbor by paying our debts and being debt free and by having mercy on those who have debt as well. Let's respond today. Let's sing to Jesus today. Let's honor him for what he has done for us, how he has saved us, how he has set us free and how our spiritual freedom is the key, is the power to be free financially, to be free of those financial debts um, as well. Think about how you can respond today. We've had a few things already. One idea was cut up your credit cards today. I double dog dare you to cut up your credit cards today if you're not paying them off. The other one is, the other step you could write down here is uh, I'm going to follow financial resources. You could write that down. I'm going to follow financial resources. Perhaps you want to follow Jesus for the first time today or you're just curious. You're, keep, keep moving towards Jesus if you're not sure yet. But you can tell us here as well, hey, I want to follow Jesus or I want to be baptized or I want to serve and get involved at Trinity, whatever it might be. Think about how can you respond to what God is saying to you today. When you like and subscribe, this video reaches more people.